Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Joy Stockbauer. She serves as a policy analyst for the Center of Human Dignity at their Family Research Council. And Joy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I I saw one of your recent articles, and uh, I thought it was a really good comparison. And you talk about the title of the article is What Communism Can Teach Us About Rebuilding a Cultural Life. And, you know, the more I kind of pondered on the similarities, you know, the more you see they, they, they just walk side by side, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And and so what's really so parallel between communism and the culture of death in the United States is this common uh, quality of failing to respect humanity, failing to respect the dignity of the human person. Um, so we see that within communism. And then, of course, we see that within the abortion culture that has been built in the United States since 1973. And you really, you know, you compare the the fall, you know, the tear down, the tearing down of the Berlin Wall in the late 80s versus, you know, the Dobbs decision, which we just had and the tearing down of Roe versus Wade. And, you know, a lot of people think well, it, 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 these are great situations, but it doesn't end this uh, inhuman thought process and this attack on life, does it? Yeah, absolutely. Within both of these instances, you know, the Berlin Wall falling and Roe v. Wade being overturned, there's different dimensions to it. There's the physical dimension of the fact that this physical wall has been removed. Um, you know, even if that law that wall is a legal barrier, such as Roe v. Wade. And then there's also the symbolic component that I think is really important um, for the citizens of that nation, for the people living under that regime to look and see that change is happening, that progress is happening. I think that that captivates the mind of the people who have been living under that regime to see that there is hope for change to happen. Well, and anybody who studies, you know, communism and, you know, you can go back to what, 1848, I think the communist manifesto with Marx and Engel, it it really is an attack for life. And if you look at what happened in Russia after the Bolshevik revolution, right? The number of abortions there was crazy. They didn't even keep track of it. And that number would blow people's minds. So we know that, you know, communism is an attack on, on life itself, but, you know, even the elites in our country, many of them have embraced this communist or Marxist ideology. So they naturally fall in line with this. Let's just, if, babies aren't convenient, let's just kill them. Yeah, absolutely. The Soviet Union was the first uh, nation country in Europe to legalize abortion on demand. And so this led, of course, to um, the progression of the sexual revolution, which then migrated over to the United States. So um, that progression really did begin with communism. And this just isn't surprising because communism inherently is disregarding the value of individuality, the value of the individual human person. Um, And of course, that makes sense with the crimes that you saw committed under communism. It makes sense that um, human dignity is desecrated in the womb because human dignity is also desecrated under communism among born people. 
Um, and so in the United States, I think that it takes uh, the ability to step back and look at history and see the direction that countries that lived under communism have gone to see the way that there is still generational harm occurring in those countries. Um, and to say that we want to reject that culture of death and instead choose a culture of life. Well, and you bring that up in your article. You talk about the difference between East Germany and West Germany and bringing down the wall. Everybody thinks, well, geez, now everything is going to be fine and, and you're not going to see any differences. But you point out that poverty and, and, and the issues that were inherent in East Germany are, you know, are and were slow to change just because you tore down the wall. It doesn't mean we flipped the switch. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, there was a mentality in the days and the weeks following the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, where people thought, you know, well, this is great. The victory is won. This is what we've been fighting for for 50 years. So what is there left to fight for? And I think that these past midterm elections, we just saw exactly what there is to fight for. You know, there were five states that had abortion on the ballot. Um, and every one of these ballot measures had a unfavorable outcome for life. Um, in California, Michigan, and Vermont, um, these ballot measures inserted a right to abortion in state constitutions. In Montana, the voters rejected language that would have required children who survived an abortion to receive life-saving medical care. And so I think that this is evidence of this larger problem that we have built a culture of death in the United States for the past 50 years since Roe v. Wade. And so it's going to take more than overturning Roe v. Wade to get at the hearts and minds of the culture and to begin showing people how evil abortion really is and that there is a better way for society to operate. Well, and I, I just read an article, I think it may even have been yesterday, uh, where in this last election cycle, the Democrats spent $391 million promoting abortion, which was more than Mickey D's spent in their entire mm. 2021 advertising budget. Wow. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling the lengths that, that people go. And, and, and you're right, just because a law changes and all, all Roe versus Wade did was just send it back to the states. You know, the other side likes to think, you know, that abortion was under attack, but it basically just sent it back to the states where it always should have been to begin with. And we in the pro-life community have to do a better job of changing hearts and minds, I think, to your point. Unless people don't want an abortion, then there's going to be money in it and, and evil is going to continue to uh, triumph in different pockets, killing the innocent life of these unborn children. Absolutely. And I think that you raised a great point with pointing out how much money the abortion lobby threw at these ballot measures and threw into this election, um, because it just goes to show you how profitable the abortion industry is. It shows how much money they think is on the line um, when there are legislators seeking to protect unborn life. Um, it shows that they would, you know, they would lose a lot of profit. And so they want to continue persuading voters that, um, that abortion is a good thing for society, that it's a good thing for women, because if they can't win that battle for hearts and minds, they lose out on this profitable industry of killing children in their mother's womb. Which, you know, makes it even more insidious. I, I could see if people believe, you know, we need to kill babies, which again is horrific, but to do it for filthy money, right? To, to sell your moral soul for a few dollars, which 
a lot of these politicians have done. And and look, there's Republicans, uh, John O'Day, who ran for the Senate in Colorado, right, was a pro-abortion Republican running, and he still got his clock clean. I mean, you know, at least stand up for truth. But if you're going to lose, lose because you defended, you know, a moral stance, not because you just wanted to win and you see what happens after that. Absolutely. And I think it's just further evidence of how ingrained abortion has become by building this culture of death in our society that we're even able to separate it from what it is and to say that it's actually intertwined with things like the economy. Um, This election cycle, we saw candidates like Stacey Abrams, who is rapidly pro-abortion, claiming that children are the reason that families are worried about inflation. And that abortion is a solution to the economic problems that Americans are facing under the Biden administration. Um, This should be unthinkable. It should be unthinkable to tell a family facing economic difficulty that the best solution is to kill their child. Um, You know, it's unthinkable that our nation has gotten to this place. I think it's just proof of the fact that we've ingrained into our society that when another human being is inconvenient, it's okay to kill them. Well, and it all comes down to, you know what, me, myself, and I are my three favorite people. And if anybody gets in the way of my perceived happiness or perceived joy, then they are expendable. Look, we see it with euthanasia too, right? We can see, continue to see that push. Somebody gets older and, and they become more frail and they become more of a burden. Well, let's just get rid of them because they, they're of no value. And, you know, abortion, euthanasia, all those, all those ways of thinking – are really the most selfish way we could think about any human being possible. Absolutely. And I think you raise a great point there with Canada. Um, Canada is one of the only countries in the world where you can have um, unlimited access to abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy with absolutely no safeguards for the unborn child. And Canada is also seeing a movement towards expanding euthanasia at the same time. Um, In Canada, it's called medical aid and dying. Um, And we've seen an expansion of that to the point that um, there are people who are seeking medical aid and dying simply because they're homeless and because they are suffering from mental illness. Um, And so, I think that that is further evidence of exactly what you were saying, that um, when you begin to to devalue human life, it doesn't matter if the person is unborn or if they're born, you know, if they're considered a burden on society, then the government is going to be able to um, give you the right to take that life away. Well, and, and you know, you, we talked about Roe versus Wade and it going down to the states and you know, how abortion hasn't disappeared. It's just, it's just spread out. It's actually, it's like whack-a-mole trying to figure out, you know, what states Mm -hmm. do and what, and some states have done really good things, but it's, it's interesting that, you know, when you talk, look at the communist side of it, anytime you compare the United States, you compare Canada, who, you know, you like to think are these great democracies, we're compared to North Korea, which is communist. We're compared to China, which is communist with its attack on human dignity. So, in the end, our policies are communist policies from our elite. And, you know, we either elect them out or we're going to continue to deal with these knuckleheads that continue to purport the killing of children as, uh, as you mentioned, right, an, ec- an economic gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, it's, it's essential to point out to voters who think that America is leading the charge in areas like women's rights and reproductive health care. You know, they use these buzzwords to make voters think that the Democratic Party is 
somehow standing for women and that we're leading the charge internationally to stand for women's rights. When in reality, the other countries that we're on par with are countries where women are not respected, where, you know, the right to life for a woman is not respected, let alone for an unborn child. Um, in countries like North Korea, abortion is actually used as a form of torture. In China, it's used as a form of population control in uh, concentration camps that are holding Uyghur ethnic minorities hostage. And so really what around the world is being used as a form of uh, desecrating human rights, we're celebrating in the United States as if it were a good thing. Well, and we wonder why the world is the way it is and the United States is the way it is, right? There's moral depravity, you know, across the board. And people need to realize that elections in and of themselves are not going to change what we're doing. It has to be changed in our hearts and really an embrace of God into our lives so that we have a moral compass. Because if people think elections are going to change things without turning to God, then you know what? They're, they're nuts. Absolutely. And this is something that I raised um, in my article that we've been discussing, which is that, you know, there are countries that have escaped from communism that are still suffering from the lingering effects of communism. But then there are countries that have escaped from communism and returned to God. Countries like Poland, where um, Pope John Paul II allowed his spiritual guidance to, um, you know, renew the hearts and minds of the Polish people. And now Poland is one of the safest places in the world to be an unborn child. It's one of the most pro-life countries in the world. Um, And we're talking about a country that suffered under um, a culture of death created by the Nazis and by the communists. Now Poland is a place where you can be safely one of the most vulnerable ages and stages of human life. And I think that that's a really beautiful testament to the power of a culture choosing to return to God, choosing to put their trust in him. Um, And I think that, you know, that would just be a wonderful thing to see happening in the United States over the next um, upcoming elections in the next few years. Yeah, to put our trust in God as opposed to playing God makes a heck of a lot more Mm -hmm. sense. Because when we try to play God, we screw it up every single time. We just can't help ourselves. But looking in the mirror and just you know, having this great admiration for self at the expense of everyone else. And it really is a challenge. That's why I thought when you when you raise the comparison of communism and the culture of life, uh, I think it really should remind people that this battle is not over. I was really disappointed to see that the Archdiocese of Washington canceled their uh, youth event and their mass that they hold at the March for Life every year. Because to think that we've that we are in a better place after Roe versus Wade when you just mentioned the last five states in this last election. Uh, We're living in fantasy land. The battle has not stopped, has it? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, And and I'm sure that it is exhausting, you know, for pro-lifers who have been in the movement for such a long time. Um, And they want to think that the battle has been won. They want to think that Roe v. Wade was the end of the line. But in reality, this is just, changed the shape of the battle. Um, The battle is not over, as you said. And so, you know, people need to keep 
showing up at these events like the March for Life. There are more state marches for life coming up as well in 2023, which is super exciting. Um, it's so vital for us to continue to have this conversation because, you know, the individual American can make a difference, obviously, by casting their vote for a pro-life candidate. The average American can also make a difference just through their personal activism. And it doesn't have to be mind-blowing. It doesn't have to be monumental speeches or, you know, gaining a social media platform. It can be as simple as having a conversation with members of your family that you know are not pro-life. Um, it can be as simple as raising your children to be pro-life advocates and, you know, raising the upcoming generations. And so I think it's it's so important for us not to turn away from the upcoming stages of this battle and to continue equipping average Americans as well as politicians to, you know, continue to put on the armor of God and to fight for life. Well, you know, one of the one of the biggest uh, groups that that support this pro-abortion action, you know, and they and they looked at, you know, who voted for who over this last election were single women. I mean, you're a you're a young woman just got, you know, recently out of college. Are you seeing more and more young women say, think, you know what, I'm going to embrace this abortion culture? Or are you seeing more single women saying, you know what, this this is just they're, they're selling me a bill of goods here and I don't want any part of it. You know, I think it's really interesting. I think that women are confused. Um, just anecdotally, I, I've spoken with many women who are confused by the messaging points of the abortion industry and the pro-abortion lobby because they've tried to, to sell women on the lie that things like miscarriage and ectopic pregnancy are abortions. Um, you have pro-abortion celebrities trying to speak out and say that, you know, they had an abortion when in reality, you know, years ago, they were just saying they had a miscarriage and um, so I think that there are a lot of women who are confused and uh, they want to know what the truth is. And I think that they're having a hard time um, digging through the lies to find what the truth is. And so I think that there is a lot of mistrust. Um, and of course, women want to vote for a candidate who they think uh, cares about them. Everyone wants to vote for a candidate that they think cares about them. And so when you have an entire party claiming to be the party of women's rights and casting their their political opponents as people who uh, desecrate female rights and people who don't care about women once they have become pregnant or once they've had their child, it puts women in a really difficult position. And so I think it's super important for us to continue explaining to, you know, everyone in the United States, but most particularly women, that the pro-life side doesn't just want you to stay pregnant and be left on your own. The pro-life movement wants to equip you with real resources that are going to help you and your child flourish, that are going to save you from the trauma of abortion, save you from the ways that that can be so detrimental to your future, to your mental health, um, to your spiritual health. I think it's just essential for us to keep hammering home that there are pregnancy resource centers, um, there are maternity homes, there are advocates out there who want to help women. Well, and if men actually stood up and did what they were supposed to do and be the protectors, be the leaders, you know, defend life, uh, you know, engage in the marital act after marriage, not run and leave women to, to support the children by themselves. And, you know, it, it really does take everybody, but men need to stand up as well. They need to be a support, not somebody who's going to say, hey, here's a few hundred dollars. Go go end this thing because it's just not convenient for either one of us. 
Absolutely. Yes. I think it's so important for men to realize that um, in this issue that they have been told for so long, you know, no uterus, no opinion. You shouldn't speak about this. You shouldn't have an opinion on this. You just need to blindly follow the women in your life and, you know, not step in when you see them about to make a terrible mistake. I think we need to completely do a 180 and reverse that mentality for men. And like you said, encourage them to be the leaders that they were created to be. And I think that this especially matters in the church, you know, where there is um, more male leadership. I think that this this matters in those situations because um, until churches really start start speaking about this issue, start being comfortable with the life issues, start being comfortable holding one another accountable for the way that they treat young women who, be, you know, they become pregnant outside of marriage. All of these things contribute to building a culture of life. It's, it's going to take everyone. It won't be able to just be led by one gender. Um, it won't be able to just be led by one group of really vocal people. It takes um, equipping and educating everyone who shares that pro-life value to feel that they can contribute to the conversation and that they can lead the charge. Well, and we see, you know, we see these activists, right, who are, you know, destroying paintings and doing crazy stuff, right? They'll, they'll go to, to all lengths for climate control, for population control, but nothing about self-control, right? It's all about these external things, which, again, fits in perfectly with communism because people were just widgets anyway. It's a, They were a means to an end, and it really is about the economy and external sources, and you totally eliminate and ignore humanity. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it makes total sense that in the logical outcome of, you know, a movement like the sexual revolution that exalts the self above all else, it makes sense that the most innocent and vulnerable members of our society are the population that suffers from these decisions. You know, it's not the, the parents having, having sex outside of marriage and choosing to have an abortion. You know, they suffer spiritual outcomes. But, you know, ultimately the victim of that situation is the unborn child who is killed in their mother's womb because of someone else's decision. Um, and I think that this point really matters as well. You know, the, the conversation no one wants to have is what about in cases of rape and incest? You know, what about in cases where the woman is a victim of, you know, something so heinous as a sexual assault, um, as that type of crime. Um, and, and it's still a conversation that the pro-life movement is getting comfortable having to say, you know, the unborn child is not at fault there. Um, you know, the, the child conceived in rape or incest, they are an innocent um, third party to the crime that was committed. And so I think that this, again, uh, plays in with the role of men, which is holding other men accountable um, and our society holding men accountable for sexual crimes, rather than saying, well, our solution to things like high rape rates and, you know, incest, our solution is just going to be allowing legal abortion in those cases. And we're just going to put the child to death for the crimes of the father. Yeah, well, you know, the old adage, two wrongs don't make a right. And, and, and you're right, right, the people in the pro-life community really get squeamish when rape and incest and those terrible things get brought up. But to your point, at what point does it ever make any sense to kill an innocent child because of a heinous act that an adult performed? So it, it, it doesn't even logically make sense, but we tend to back off. And the minute we start making exceptions like that, then we open Pandora's box. 
Absolutely. And, you know, exceptions, it, it begins with, you know, cases of rape and incest or cases where they say that the mother won't be able to survive if she continues the pregnancy. And then you get exceptions in cases of uh, prenatal diagnosis. And suddenly abortion is being used as a tool of eugenics to attack a population of people who have disabilities. Um, and so, so really, you know, this isn't a fallacy. This is a real life example of the slippery slope being true which is, you know, they'll push on these, your heartstrings and, you know, they'll try to bring up these difficult, these difficult cases in order to open a gateway for unlimited abortion through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason at all. Um, you know, that's what we've seen in the history of our country. So I think it's time for us to stop falling for these lies that the exceptions will ever be enough because the exceptions will never be enough for Democrats. It will never be enough for those who support abortion. And so rather than saying we're going to, you know, make little compromises in between, we're just going to let them have some abortion here and some abortion there. You know, we have to stand firm on the position of life beginning at conception Unborn children deserve to be legally protected at conception without exception. Well, and you have, you mentioned Stacey Abrams, you have uh, Warnock in Georgia as well. You have all these people who claim to be Christian who somehow have twisted the words of scripture to make it sound like it's all right. All people have to lie. If you believe God is the author of life, why would he send a life down here and then say, well, kill it if you don't want it because I just thought it might be convenient for you? Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, I think that there are many ways for someone to become pro-life. You know, I think that you can become pro-life without being a Christian, uh, just by understanding that life begins at conception and that, you know, biologists agree that life begins at conception. I think, you know, there are ways to become pro-life without being a Christian. But I think the most simple way to become pro-life is remembering that in Genesis, it tells us that human beings are made in the image of God. So you're not talking about... Uh, this other life that doesn't have inherent meaning and significance. You're talking about a human being that reflects the divine image of God. Um, and I think that that's the most simple way to become pro-life. And I think that that's what the pro-life movement needs to maintain as its heartbeat is that, you know, these, the right to life is, is a God-given right. It's something that every human being is infused with from the moment of conception. Well, we're down to about a minute, and I knew this topic always goes fast, and I really appreciate uh, your article. Um, how can people follow what you're doing and uh, really get the right information they need to get on this stuff, on this important topic? I would recommend following um, Family Research Council's news outlet. It's called The Washington Stand. You can find it at WashingtonStand.com. That's where you'll find my writing and the writing of other policy experts and the analysts at Family Research Council. We cover the life issue. We cover what's going on in politics and in current events today um, and so much more from a biblical worldview. Uh, that's how I found your article because I get that sent to my uh, email every morning. So I would encourage people to get in, look up Washington Stand and then subscribe to it. Then you'll get all these great articles on a variety of topics, what's happening in our culture. And I mean, it's not for the faint of heart, but we need to hear about it because we know this craziness that's taken place is is a craziness that we, the collective we, have, have allowed to happen. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.